So God, open our hearts and our minds to truly grasp what what your word's teaching us today. We so appreciate the reformers. We think of all that was accomplished. And yet today we look back not to the reformers. We look back to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection the third day. We look back beyond that to your promise to send a redeemer and how beautiful your promise is. When we think about the glory to, all, to God alone be all the glory, we look back to your, your work not only in creation, but your work in, in predestining us in eternity past to belong to you. And we are so humbled by your great love for us. So help us this morning. Teach us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, first things first, before we even start unpacking, you know, verses 5 through 11, I want us to look back at verse 1 to get a sense of where we're, where we're at and where we're going with this. Look, look at verse 1, five, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and we get to uh, the overall subject or concept of what we're going to be looking at today. All of Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4, all of the first four chapters of Romans were were teaching us that justification comes by faith to all who trust Jesus Christ. In in Romans 3, it basically says, Romans 1 1 and 2 and 3, it, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, it doesn't matter if you're Greek, your nationality is irrelevant doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter where you've come from. Nothing matters. What matters is, have you trusted Jesus Christ alone for salvation? And Romans 5 assumes, Romans 5.1 assumes, okay, you're getting that now. And says, well, since we have been justified by faith, and then he goes on and, and tells us what's true for those who have been justified by faith. What does that mean? Well, justification is a legal declaration that we are not guilty of sin, that we are free from sin. And uh, actually, a holy God could not do a declaration of, of innocence unless the work of Christ existed. When we were kids, uh, I look back and and I remember playing the game. I don't know if you ever played a game like this, but we played ball tag on bikes. And so what we did is rather than having tag around the the neighbor or around the property, we had ball tag on bikes was we were all on bikes and we went through a whole city block and we had one block in, in our alley that was home base. And if you could ride your bike onto that block before you got hammered with the big heavy ball, uh, you were safe. And it was beautiful because we were all these guys, and the ball was heavy, and if you hit the guy's bike just the right way, the bike would go flying, the person on the bike would go flying, and he would not only be it, but he would be injured as well. <laughs> we loved it. It was a great time. Uh, after one person got hit with the ball, there was three or four or five guys out in the neighborhood on bikes still. And so once in a while, we'd be sitting around like waiting for them to come back to start the next you know, part of the game, the next version of the game. And so we didn't want to do that anymore. So we would stand, stand in the middle of that block and go different directions. One guy would go up the hill, one guy would go down the other side of the alley, and we would yell the famous, yell the famous cry, 
ollie ollie, income free. Ollie ollie, income free, that meant you could come and we were going to start the next version of the game. Well, when I was a kid, I used to think, why can't God do that? Why can't God just say to everyone, ollie ollie, income free? Why can't he, isn't that what we're called to do when we teach our children? Forgive your brother. What? He didn't, he didn't make it up to me enough yet. He took my thing. He broke my thing. He didn't replace my thing. And so I'm not going to forgive him yet. Well, your parent would teach you. Well, now, listen, forgive. Because this is a small thing between humans who hurt each other. It, we, we are not perfect. But God is perfect. He told us in eternity past, before he even let Adam and Eve loose in the garden that there would be death to pay for sin if, they, if we broke his rules. And, and so God cannot stand in heaven and just say, you know, I know I told you that there would be death to pay. I know I told you that the wages of sin is death. But, you know, I'm just going to change my mind willy-nilly for some of you, right? He can't do that. And so what he had to do is provide a save. He had to provide one that he could put the penalty for sin upon. That's the whole beauty of Jesus. Is that Jesus sees in eternity past that there would be a need for sin to be paid for. They agreed together in eternity past that Jesus would go and show us the love of God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came to the earth lived a perfect human life, and the wrath of God against sin was put on Jesus. And then he was raised the third day so that his life could be attributed to you and to me. And so the whole concept is that you have wronged, that I have wronged a holy God. And justification by faith is God saying, you are not guilty of sin, and he can do that justly because of Jesus. So here's the question. Do you have faith? Not mental assent. Have you placed faith in God and in the work that God has done in Jesus Christ on the cross? So, when, when we understand that justification is by faith alone, we move and, and understand that those that are justified by faith alone, uh, that they trust God's love, that we believe that God has accomplished what he said he would accomplish for us. Look at verses 6 through 8. We, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Can I just... I want to emphasize three things as we're reading the text today, okay? The first thing I want to emphasize is that almost every reference to an amazing characteristic in this passage is not attributed to Jesus Christ. It's, it's attributed to God the Father. Look at verse, uh, for instance, uh, look at verse, five, or verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by, by faith, we have peace with God, not peace with Jesus. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, verse 2, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice, listen, in hope of the glory of God. So we're fixated on the Father, God the Father. Verse uh, Verse number five, and hope does not put us to shame because what? God's love 
has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse uh, 8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by Jesus' blood, much more shall we be saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. And then verse 10. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled, listen, to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. God the Father is operative in this passage. Second thing I want you to see is that this is not talking to an individual about being forgiven of sin. Now, individuals, all of us need to be forgiven, and we need to have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus, right? But this passage, if you'll note, is almost every time addressing all of us together. It's we, our, us. And the concept is, verse 1 really puts it best, since we have been justified by faith, these things will be true of us. And so it's talking to the family of God. And then the last thing I want you to see is there's a timing element. This first thing we're looking at is a past thing, and then we're going to look at a present thing, and we're going to look at a future thing. So verse 6, we trust God's love, which has been put on display in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Note this, that's a historical fact. The love that God has displayed for you It can't be argued with it. You can say, I don't feel it. You can go inside the the living room and close your blinds and say the sun is not shining. That does not stop the fact that the sun is shining. And so the, the love that God has put on display is a fact. It's not a fact if you feel it or sense it. We're going to look at the feeling in a minute. But God, in, in the past, has shown his love for mankind in Jesus Christ. So God loves us. How great is that love that God has for us? It's, it's unspeakable. It's immeasurable. It is amazing. And as we look at the love that God has for us, uh, John Piper uh, says that there's, there's at least two ways that we can really begin to measure or appreciate how great the love of God is. The first way is the costliness of the love to the lover. How much did it cost? Now, we can show love to each other, and we can say, well, here is, um, here's a cup of coffee. Enjoy this cup of coffee, and that's love. That's good love. And, and it could be very costly. If you went to Starbucks for that coffee, it sets you back some, all right? And you're still recovering from how much you had to pay for that love, right? That's one kind of love that is beautiful. But if somebody comes to you, and the doc comes and says, listen, your sister, the kidneys are shutting down, and we need a kidney. Now, that's another level. That's paying a lot more. And as we bring this back to God, we see that God paid the ultimate price. It wasn't a cup of coffee. It wasn't a kidney. Christ, his son, died for us. And each of us needs to to appreciate that. We need to plumb the depths of that. We need to feel that. And Piper goes on and says, not only is that one way to measure, but another way to measure how great the love is, is how undeserving the object of God's love. How undeserving is the the people or the person that God has placed his love on? Listen, we are undeserving. 
And, and I think uh, this passage really emphasizes how undeserving you are and how undeserving I am. And again, it's a corporate thing. We together are undeserving of God's love. Look at verse 6. While we were still weak. That is, we have no moral strength in us whatsoever. We brought nothing to the relationship. He, di- he didn't show us love because we were so lovely. He didn't show us love because we were so great. We, we brought nothing to the relationship. We, no contribution whatsoever to it. Continue on in verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That word ungodly is a word that should evoke really difficult pictures in our mind. We we were not in right relationship with him. Romans 1.18 says, you know what God does for the ungodly? His wrath is now being revealed in the world against the ungodly, like you and me. And in this passage in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, you know what we're getting from God? Here we are, the ungodly ones, and what we're getting from God is love. He's showing us his love. Look down uh, at verse number 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That word sinner means we were outsiders, not recognizing God's love. We were missers of the mark. We did not comply or conform to his desires for us or his law for us. We were sinners. And then lastly, if we look down in verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled. We were enemies. And so not only did we not bring anything to the table, not only were we generally unable, not only were we offenders, we had set our heart in the exact opposite direction of everything he intended for us and could not turn around. We were enemies of all that he wanted for us. That is not a very pretty picture. And when you start to measure the love of God and how great it was, and you see how much he had to pay, and you see how unworthy you were, how unworthy I was. And again, the, the, the emphasis of the text is on all of us together. How unworthy we were. And yet, he paid the high price for you and for me. As God's love for us revealed in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago is amazing. And we should never move through a day and not treasure it for what it is. The Reformers knew this, by the way. We sang that song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Is there another hymn you know of that has a verse about Satan and a verse about sin? I don't know of another song, hymn, that sings about Satan. But listen, Martin Luther was really focused on helping the church understand how sinful sin is. But he lived in a time when the Catholic Church, the church was teaching, you know, sin is bad, but honestly, if it, it, it's kind of weakened our wills. It's kind of impaired us a bit. I mean, it can be repaired in the church if you just take the sacraments 
We have a, a loss of light, if you will, of our intellect, but we're working on it. We have a loss of the strength of our memory, but no, Luther would say, it is the loss of all uprightness. It is the loss of all our faculties in body and soul. He would use the, the phrase incurvatos, and incurvatos uh, basically meant we're all, we are curved in on ourselves and we cannot straighten ourselves back up. That we are focused on our own needs, we live for ourselves. we are self-absorbed, we do things our own way for our own benefit, and we have no ability within us to straighten ourselves back out to a holy and loving God. And the whole of Romans chapter 5 would, would be to say, see how great God loves us? He would come and straighten us up. He would come and pay the, the sin debt that we owe because we are in curvatas, all curved in on our side, all curved in on ourselves with no ability to straighten ourselves up. And so, guys, God's love is a fact in history. But Romans chapter 5 doesn't stop there. Because some of you would say, well, I see that God has loved us greatly, and I don't feel his love at all. I, I have friends, this is the conversation we have every time when we talk about the love of God. It's not, no one, many times my friends would say, I don't question the fact that God loves. I question this, I don't feel it. I have broken relationships in my life, and I thought if I'd A and B and C, I sh shouldn't I feel it by now? And some people can feel the love of God because, oh, they have been somehow favored. They've been favored with a, a family upbringing that made them kind of this large cistern that can, can take the love in and feel it. But not me. I, I have this whole, I'm broken. I'm broken, and every time God loves me, it just seems to go out the bottom. I just do not feel the love of God, all right? And, and so before we move into that, let me just say this. In verses 6 through 8, while we were still weak at the right time, note this, that God's love is greater than any and all human love. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Maybe somebody would give up a, hum, uh, a kidney. Maybe somebody would help. Maybe there's a situation where somebody would show that kind of love. But that would be for a good person, right? And in essence, what, what Romans 6 through 8 says Feel the love of God that he has shown. It's greater than human love because he didn't give it to a good person. He gave it to enemies and sinners. He, he gave it to all who would come to, to trust him. And since therefore we, or excuse me, but God shows us his love, and I just want to emphasize this in verse 8. God shows us his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word show there means prove. God proves his love to us. And uh, one of my favorite things that doesn't show up in the ESV, uh, in verse 8, but God shows his own love for us. The emphasis is on this love that it, God himself shows his love. He loves, listen, he loves you. God the Father loves you. While you were an enemy, were afar off while you labored in your enemyness God loves you God himself loves you and he wants to draw you near 
So I don't always feel that love, you say, and uh, those justified by faith experience God's love personally in our everyday lives. Do you, do you feel his love? Some days you feel it, and maybe some days you don't. Uh, as we look back at verse 5, we're, we're seeing that God wants us to have a, an experience with his love day by day. Listen, the Reformation, it's not about us looking back and saying 500 years ago we believed right things and uh, we also look back to the cross. And to this day, we do not want to teach our kids, you know, when, it, when you really think about God's love, don't expect him to show up today because he showed up 2,000 years ago and what he did yesterday stands. And if he needs to let us know that he loves us today, well, he'll send us some message in the sky. Have you had conversations with friends? If God just showed up and made himself clear and wrote in the sky today, if he made it clear, I'd believe it. Well, he wants to make it clear today. Look at verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame. Again, we're, we're on God's love because God's love has been poured into our hearts. And I want to emphasize two things about this incredible love, okay? Number one, it's already. God's love has been poured into our hearts. Do do you sense that? Do you know that in time right now, that by the Holy Spirit of God, he has poured his love into your life? Do you have this understanding that the Holy Spirit is ministering the presence of God to your heart, that you don't have some spark of divinity in you? But if you have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit does live in you, and so therefore you have the eternal one within you. You have the all-powerful one within you. So often I think, well, I can't. I can't. There's something I can't do. And then I'm reminded, oh, the Holy Spirit lives in me. And, and so that doesn't mean I can lift thousands of pounds, right? But what it does mean is I can act in accordance with the character of God. And I can stop saying, I can't. God's calling you to forgive somebody in your life. You say, well, I can't. Well, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, yes, you can. God's calling you to show love to someone. You say, well, I, I just can't. If God's Spirit lives in you, ministering the person of God to you by the Spirit today, yeah, you can. Right? So we're, you say, well, I can't overcome this moral problem in my life. Yeah. If, if God wants to create and put in you the character of Christ and grow it for his glory, let's all stop saying we, we can't. Here's some reasons why we say we can't. We say, well, I am this cistern. And I'm not big as big as others, meaning when I was little, I, I, I didn't have people around me caring enough for me and giving me the ability to appreciate God's love the way others can. And so I just can't. Or as I said before, we feel broken. And listen, the Holy Spirit wants to minister the love of God in its fullness to you today. He wants to make it real for you today. So it's already available. The other thing I want you to see here, it's abundant. Again, verse 5, how God wants to minister his love to you. God's love has been poured into our hearts. Do you not love that word pour there? I, I love the fact that it does not say God's love has been put into our hearts. 
No, it's, it's in my heart. It's, it's an object, and, and that's where it sort of is, right? No? Notice also it does not say God's love has been dripped into your hearts. We found, we found a leaf with a little water on it from the morning dew, and we're just holding it over your heart, hoping a little water will drip. Up. It's not that. The word poured there is this bucket that is full of God's love, and it is just unemptiable. It's this living water, and he has poured his love over you and me and poured it into your hearts in overflowing ways. It has no limits, and God just keeps pouring it. It is abundant for you. And my friends, it's so incumbent upon us to access the love and to understand that that's how God has loved us. With this already abundant supply that he is pouring into your life today by the work of the Spirit. Nobody in this room can experience that for you. Listen, we can describe it as beautiful. We could say, uh, let me make it clear what this love looks like. But only you can have an experience with God by His Spirit so that what was clearly described be- can become dear to your heart. Uh, again, in, in one of John Piper's podcasts this week, he described it like this. He can drive you on a boat out into the depths of the most beautiful lake and describe to you how beautiful it is to swim in the waters. But only the Holy Spirit can, can go with you and dive in. Have you dived in to God's love? Are you, are you in? Are you basking in it? Are you experiencing it day by day? Because uh, the concept of justified by faith is not some stodgy old archaic theological truth. And it's not even just that Christ died and rose again the third day, which is beautiful. It is something that God wants to minister in your faculties and to your senses today by the working of his spirit in you as he opens up your life and pours out his love into you. My friends, that is not based on if you're a, a big enough vessel or if you don't have a crack in the bottom of your vessel so that the love feels, seems to run out. The reality is some of us have a, a great family and we, don't need, we, don't, we haven't struggled with our need for the love of God because we've had a strong family upbringing and it would be better for us to be struggling to understand the love of God than to assume we have it if we don't. It can be a very powerful thing for you to struggle and my friends, again, the emphasis is on us, right? And so as we emphasize the we and the us, can I just say to you, if you are here today and saying, I just don't feel that love. Nobody here can make you feel it, but we can sure try to help. We can come alongside of you. We can try to help plug up some of the cracks. We can remind you of what is true and normative. We can teach you who the Holy Spirit is and we can unpack verse 5 for you as, as we pray and ask God to be real in your life and to take what he's done in the past and make it profound and felt in your present. It is so important for us guys not to look back and say, yeah, God proved himself back there, but he's not doing it anymore. He, he just expects us to trust that that was enough. No, the Holy Spirit pouring 
God's love into our lives today. Abundant love. We look ahead. It's not just the past and what God has done in the past, and it's not just the present and how he ministers his love to us in the present, but uh, Thirdly, those justified by faith alone rejoice in God's love in an increasing way. Verses 9 and 10 and 11, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It's as if Paul here is saying, look, God's, in three verses in a row, he says, God's already done the hard thing. Don't don't you know that, that saving you and justifying you, that was the hard work. If he's done the hard work, he's going to come through in the easy stuff or the stuff that's yet to come. And so as we live in this world saying, well, I've, I see that God's already done it and I'm experiencing it right now, what's going to come in the future? Well, in the future, God's going to be faithful to do exactly what he says. He's done the hard stuff. He's going to follow through with the easier stuff. The hard stuff of justification in verse 9 is followed by being saved by him from the wrath of God. That looks forward to the time when Christ returns and the wrath of God is felt against his enemies. There is a coming day of judgment for those who are not justified by faith. That is another underscoring of the Reformation. That we are saved by Christ and there are, there are those who reject him who will not be saved by him. So since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, he, that was the hard thing, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, of course. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we should be saved by his life. He does the same thing a second time. God's already done the hard stuff. Now he's going to come through in the easy stuff. While we were his enemies, he reconciled us to God by the death of his son much more. Now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He changes words. Do you notice that in the earlier part of the uh, text, he was talking about justification? That was in the, the first like 10 verses. And, and the concept of justification is a legal declaration that we are right with God. Okay, but now he changes the word and he's not talking about justification anymore. He's talking about reconciliation. That's a whole different kind of word. That's not a legal word. That's a relational word. Do you ever have a a fight with your uh, spouse? Did you ever have a fight with your spouse? Yeah, okay, all right. I thought I was the only one. And it's, it's me. It's me. I know it's me. When you have an argument with your, your spouse uh, and, and you come to the point where you've said enough, right? And you've got it all out there and now it's time to communicate and to make things right, all right? So you communicate and you get the inf- true information out there. If you're like many people, it's great that that fight, that the, uh, the uh, honest information has been placed on the table, But for a lot of us, we need a little time to warm back up to one another. So just, all right, the fight's over. Let's move on. Pass the salt. Let's just finish this meal, all right? Okay. And so reconciliation is this human thing, or this relational thing, I should say, where, okay, uh, justification has taken place. The removal of 
the problem. Just as if we have not sinned. Justification has come and we are made right. But reconciliation is now that this problem has been taken away, let's bring the two parties back together face to face. Reconciliation is the face to face finishing of the uh, process of bringing two parties together. And here in Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, he is just emphasizing, Paul is emphasizing it's not just a legal thing. That legal declaration has a relational implication for you and God. So that when you wake up in the morning, you don't have to, oh, okay, I, I wasn't quite good enough yesterday, or I wasn't quite strong enough, or I've got this little... Now, listen, you've been brought back together face to face. The warmth of the relationship is all restored. You, you don't have to go back to uh, feeling like you can't make eye contact with God or like you're sitting at the same table but you don't have any warmth with him. The whole point of this, the whole point of this uh, reconciliation is bringing the warmth back into the relationship. And that is the emphasis that Paul has for us here. Verse 10, or excuse me, verse 11, and, and you, you see that he keeps using the term more than that, more than that, more than that. If while we were enemies, in verse 10, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so that reconciliation is not just a future promise. He says here in several different places, in the future when we see him, we're not going to be put to shame. And the concept there is, you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That is the best and only place you should place your faith. And so what's going to happen is in the future, you are not going to be put to shame that you have trusted Jesus and trusted him alone. That is going to be, that's a right, that's a good thing. Imagine how if we put our faith and trust in, uh, you could choose something else. I put my faith and trust in, you could use the example, some other thing other than Jesus. Well, at the last, we're going to be put to shame. We trust anything but Jesus. But if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we will not be put to shame. And that has an implication that we are going to be reconciled to God in the last day forever, and we are reconciled to him, brought back face to face now. And that is exactly what verse 11 says. It's now. Jesus has accomplished it. The relationship is restored. God's love is felt. And so think about how much love God has for us, that he would justify us by faith alone and allow us to experience his love now. Note this as we are closing. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of, what kind of love does God show? Note this. It's the kind of love, verse 10 while we were enemies kind of love. Can I just encourage you? You have an enemy in your life? Maybe you've got an enemy in your home or your house. I know you shouldn't. Maybe you do. Maybe you've got an enemy in your extended family and Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming like a freight train and you're not getting out of it. You're going to see the family and it's hard. Maybe you've got an enemy in your work space, your work place two cubicles over and they just know how to get under your skin maybe you've got an enemy in your neighborhood and do you not love the fact 
that the love that God has shown you is a while you were his enemy kind of love? So that you could experience a love that is not earned, that is totally from God, and so that when you have an enemy in this world, you could say, the last thing in the world I'm going to do is treat my relative with hate when God has treated me with love while I was his enemy. And we are learning and growing and understand that this love that is available to us has been shown to us while we were his enemy. My friends, justified by faith alone is a life-changing kind of a thing. God wants you to experience his love and see that it was a past event that's a fact. It will never change. He wants to pour his love into your life today. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, this afternoon as you spend time with him and, and with others, he's pouring his life, and he wants you to know that there's this joy that can can totally control every detail of your life because a, a future non-shame kind of reconciliation is in store. And oh, by the way, that reconciliation should be experienced by you, by me today, because you've experienced a while you were his enemy kind of love. So we have the opportunity to share and show that same kind of love. So praise God for what the reformers did, but what they did was restore or, or, or come to understand what Jesus did and how God loves us in Jesus Christ. Let's stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Lord, all these amazing things that have been done for us produce joy in our hearts. We have been justified by faith, and the result of that is a joy unspeakable. And so, Father, we praise you that we see your love. We experience your love. We know your love. And as we walk through this life, I pray that we not only know what you've done in the past, but we experience it by your spirit in the present, and we show it to the people around us because we have been reconciled, brought back face to face. We have been reconciled with our God. In Jesus' name, amen.